0: The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network, Buzz Burbank, news and comment. April 27, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. It was October in Gettysburg where Trump released his 100-day plan to, quote, restore prosperity to our country, secure our communities, and honesty to our government. Believe me, he said in that Gettysburg campaign speech last fall, he set for himself a deadline of 100 days with specific goals in what he called his 100-day action plan. On his 92nd day in office, Trump called the 100-day mark a ridiculous standard that was cooked up by the media. Actually, it was President Franklin Delano Roosevelt who was the first to set a 100-day marker, and with the help of a like-minded Congress, Roosevelt signed 15 bills from Congress in those first 100 days. But no subsequent president's been able to live up to that unusual achievement. Still, they have been measured by this standard, although even a good 100-day start hasn't always met a successful presidency. Jimmy Carter had a 69% approval rating after his first 100 days, but Thanks to inflation, an oil crisis, and a hostage crisis, his re-election campaign never stood a chance. JFK had a 74% approval rating after 100 days, but his handling of the Cuban Missile Crisis ripped away that support. In his early days, Bill Clinton had only a 55% approval rating, and that was the lowest in modern history. Until now... With the 100-day mark coming Saturday, Trump remains the most unpopular president on record, with an approval rating of 41 percent, but holding on to his base, according to the Gallup poll and the political site 538.com. Other polls rate him even lower, but even the Gallup poll shows Trump has lost 6 percent of his voter base. Fewer than two in five independents are behind him. Democrats despise Trump even more than Republicans despised Obama, Republican voters gave Obama a 30% approval rating in his first 100 days. Today, only 9% of Democrats approve of Trump. But the warning signs about collusion and corruption in the Trump administration haven't swayed his supporters. One poll shows 98% of those who voted for Trump say they don't regret it. In his first 100 days, the White House says Trump will have issued over 30 executive orders even after slamming Obama on the campaign trail for his executive orders. Last January, Trump told Fox News, you have a president who signs executive orders because he can't get anything done. In March of last year, I want to use not too many executive orders. And my favorite, also from March of last year, nobody ever heard of an executive order. All of a sudden, Obama, because he couldn't get anybody to agree with him, starts signing them like butter. Actually, we've heard of an executive order when Abraham Lincoln signed one called the Emancipation Proclamation. And has anyone ever signed anything like butter? In September of last year, Trump said signing executive orders is not the way our country is supposed to run. He has signed over 30 of them in his first hundred days, about half of them simply undoing Obama executive orders. And the Republicans who complained about Obama's use of executive orders as unconstitutional overreach are quiet now. Also in his first hundred days, Trump failed to repeal and replace Obamacare, as promised, failed not once but twice at a Muslim ban, and now he has failed in his attempt to cut off federal money from sanctuary cities. A federal district judge in California put a freeze on that executive order after a lawsuit filed by San Francisco and Santa Clara County. The judge says he froze Trump's order because even administration lawyers admitted the order doesn't do anything not already covered by existing laws. And the judge agreed that the order is unconstitutional in that it also strong-armed sanctuary cities to deputize their police as federal immigration officers. There are more than 300 sanctuary cities in the U.S., and besides losing money, they say an end to that status would make immigrants stop reporting crimes they witness for fear that they too would be deported. Trump won't take this lying down, tweeting, I'll see you in Supreme Court, which now tilts in his favor. Karma, on the other hand, arrives when it's good and ready, not when you may prefer it. Karma visited Donald Trump last week as his immigration officials arrested and deported a young man who was supposedly protected under the DREAM Act. Trump and his homeland security chief had assured us all that dreamers have nothing to fear, even though Trump campaigned on a vow to end the dreamer program. Nevertheless, Juan Manuel Montez got to be the first dreamer to get deported in the Trump administration, despite those assurances and despite Juan's 15 trouble-free years in this country. The Trump immigration official said Juan hadn't kept his papers up to date. Lawyers took up his case and filed it in a federal district court, The judges who hear these cases are chosen at random, or perhaps in this case, by karma, because the courtroom in which Juan Montez's case landed is presided over by Judge Gonzalo Curiel. Yes, that name is familiar, because that's the judge Trump had called a hater when that judge prepared to hear the massive fraud case against Trump's so-called university. Trump, you'll recall, also brought Judge Curiel's ethnicity into the issue, calling the judge a Mexican, but karma brought Trump more than a reappearance of Judge Curiel. It brought him the realization that Homeland Security had screwed up and that Juan Manuel Montez's papers had not expired after all. The White House has no comment on Judge Curiel or the screw-up. Perhaps enough has already been said, with karma getting the last word on this. Karma has yet to catch up with Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who got that job in spite of using his previous job in Congress to make millions on the stock market. Sessions now says it's, quote, mostly Mexicans getting tax credits mistakenly paid out by the Treasury Department. Nearly six years ago, an inspector general's report showed that the IRS had granted $4 billion in tax credits to people who don't have the proper papers to work in the U.S., uh, the report didn't name a nationality but jeff sessions the government lawyer for all the people was more than happy to single out a nationality mexicans sessions says we could use that money to pay for trump's plan to wall off mexico homeland security estimates put the cost of that wall at 70 billion dollars not counting maintenance with the 4 billion a year sessions wants to stop paying to mostly mexicans it would take 18 years to pay for the wall Ted Cruz has an idea. He's introduced the El Chapo Act, which would pay for the wall by seizing the assets of that Mexican drug lord and others. And despite Trump's initial insistence that money for the wall be included in a government funding bill this week, we're now being told he's willing to wait until further notice, until perhaps the next funding bill comes up in September Trump's insistence on wall money might have forced a government shutdown tomorrow, since Democrats plan to vote no on money for that wall, and the support of Republican lawmakers may not be what it needs to be for passage. The White House now says politics is the art of compromise, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin says Trump is, quote, working very hard to keep the government open. Democrats say without the wall money on the table, that budget bill should be passed in time to prevent another government shutdown. Since the 1960s, the U.S. State Department has held daily briefings to keep the press and the public up to date. But even with everything going on in the world right now, the Trump State Department stopped the daily briefings. Briefings have since been restarted, sort of. There have been one or two, but they are no longer daily. And the State Department has a new spokesperson, It's Heather Newart, a former reporter for the Fox News Channel, best known on the internet for her daring leg crosses in short skirts on Trump's favorite TV show, Fox and Friends. The good news, if there is any here, is that as a reporter for ABC News, Heather was nominated for an Emmy for her reporting from Iraq. And we could take as good news the removal of what appeared to be an advertisement for Mar-a-Lago on the State Department website headlined with a beautiful photo of Trump's Florida resort for the well-to-do, a blog page on that taxpayer-funded website sang the praises of what's being called the Winter White House. It's at Mar-a-Lago where Trump has spent half his weekend since the inauguration, despite his campaign rhetoric that he wouldn't have as much time for recreation and wouldn't golf as much as Obama had when in fact he golfs more. It is also at that resort where Trump rubs elbows with world leaders, which is why the State Department says it put up the praise piece in the first place. But it's also where people who can afford a membership can rub elbows with the owner, who also happens to be the President of the United States. It would appear that for a $200,000 initiation fee, you too can get the presidents ear. That's how one investor, who's also a Maro Lago member, arranged a secret meeting there between Trump and two former presidents of Colombia two weekends ago. We only know about it now because the meeting was uncovered by the Miami Herald newspaper. Those two Colombian ex-presidents want to derail the agreement to end a decades-long war in their country, and they'd like help from the United States. The White House says there was no meeting, that Trump just greeted the two dignitaries as they walked by. Just a quick hello, to quote the White House. That is not what the two ex-presidents say. One called it a frank conversation. Someone is lying. Again? And it's extremely unusual that someone from the State Department wouldn't be in on a meeting between the president and foreign leaders past or present. Other businessmen may hope for the president's good graces by perhaps buying one of the properties he's offering for sale. Trump has about 2,000 properties on the market worth $35 million. That stable includes a dozen golf mansions on the California coast and 422 condos from Las Vegas to New York. USA Today reports that since Trump took office, half the properties he sold in those days have gone to LLCs connected to foreign companies. Although LLC purchases are common in real estate, they also allow the buyer to hide their identity. And buying things from a sitting president is not common. And even though Trump says he's divested himself from his business by placing it in a trust, the money still ultimately goes to him. And then there are the businesses that may have sought Trump's approval by donating to his inauguration. Overhead photos show that Trump's inauguration was only a fraction of the size of Obama's first turnout and failed to feature the same scale of big-name entertainers. There's a reason we mention that, because Trump raised twice as much money for his inauguration as Obama raised for his. Obama's cost was $53 million. Trump got $107 million in donations, mostly from the rich and the corporate. The Venezuelan government's oil company, Citgo, donated a half million dollars and got a sit-down with Trump's top advisor at the time, Steve Bannon, the next day, presumably to ask that the U.S. sanctions placed on Venezuela be lifted. Pay for play, it's illegal, shouted Trump on the campaign trail as he railed against Hillary Clinton. It certainly appears Venezuela bought itself a meeting with the president's top advisor for a half million bucks that's still in Trump's pocket. And there are other questions. If most of that money wasn't spent on the inauguration, where did it go? And what will that money do instead? We know it hasn't been and won't be returned to the donors. So it would appear for now to be a slush fund, especially since under the current laws, the Trump Inauguration Committee isn't required to say how much is left or how it'll be spent. So whether it's a membership at Mar a Lago or the purchase of one of Trump's properties or donating to his inauguration, Corporations and foreign governments have been given easy ways to pay money to a president of the United States who will ultimately get that money. And if you are hoping that the Senate and House and FBI investigations into Russian election interference and the role of the Trump campaign in that interference would get to the bottom of things, you may now officially be disappointed. Lawmakers are back in Washington after a two week break, and the House and Senate intelligence committees will presumably resume their investigations. The House Intelligence Committee is still promising an open hearing with former Assistant Attorney General Sally Yates, former CIA Director John Brennan, and former Director of National Security James Clapper. On May 2nd, the House Intelligence Committee resumes its work with a closed-door session that brings back FBI Director Comey and current National Security Agency head Mike Rogers to expand on the jaw-dropping testimony they've already given. Comey confirmed in a previous and public hearing that the bureau is investigating the activities of both Russia and the Trump campaign. CNN reported this week that investigators have found signs of possible collusion between the two. But there's reason to doubt the effectiveness of the congressional committees that claim to be investigating. Although the House committee has promised an open hearing with Sally Yates, John Brennan and James Clapper, it has yet to schedule that hearing. The Senate committee, despite a promise from its Republican chairman that it would be fair and thorough, is now facing foot dragging from Republicans on the committee and questions about its chairman's intentions. And because Chairman Richard Burr has failed to sign the requests for those documents, the committee has no papers, no emails, no memos, no phone records, and it has conducted no interviews. What has it done? The Senate committee has no full-time staff. Just nine staffers devoted only part-time to that investigation. Two were just added this week. The Benghazi investigation had six times that many investigators. The Senate staff for the Russia probe has no lawyers, no one with investigative experience, and most of them have no background on Russia. That just leaves the investigations at the Justice Department and the FBI, and they too leave much to be desired. At the FBI, there's still James Comey saying his counterintelligence agents are investigating the Trump-Russia connection. But the FBI was investigating this months before the election, yet Comey only spoke publicly about the Clinton investigation, which ultimately turned up nothing of substance. And he spoke up about Clinton just days before the election. He did not speak up about Trump. Democratic research indicates Comey's revelation about Clinton and failure to reveal anything about Trump is the single biggest factor in Clinton's failure to win, although it admits there were other factors. At the Justice Department, the official overseeing the Russian investigation there is leaving. Mary McLeod, a 22-year career professional under administrations of both parties, says it's time for her to move on. She hasn't said why. She will now be replaced by someone chosen by the Trump administration. To oversee the investigation into the Trump campaign and Russia. McLeod has been in charge of that probe ever since Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions was forced to recuse himself because he too had spoken with Russian officials as a representative of the Trump campaign during Russia's interference and then lied about having those meetings. Even a prominent Republican Congressman investigating Russia is leaving government to work in the private sector. Utah Republican Jason Chavitz, who oversees the oversight committee, says he's leaving Congress, either at the end of this term or sooner. He hasn't said why. Both leaders of the House Oversight Committee, including Mr. Chaffetz, say it appears, meanwhile, that former Trump National Security Advisor Mike Flynn broke the law when he failed to report he was being paid tens of thousands of dollars by Russia and a half million more to his company by Turkey, which may have actually been Russian money anyway. It appears Flynn made it a point not to list those payments in his original financial disclosure statement to the feds. If army prosecutors pursue this, General Flynn could spend five years in prison. At the very least, Chaffet says Flynn needs to surrender that Russian money. The White House has denied the Oversight Committee's request, however, for documents on Mike Flynn. It referred most of the committee's questions to the Defense Department and said the White House was unable to accommodate the rest. The White House says it has no papers on the vetting of Mike Flynn or his security clearance renewal, no memos or emails on Flynn being unprecedentedly fired on his 23rd day on the job. So the White House is refusing to turn over papers it incredibly says don't exist. The ranking Democrat on the House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, calls that hocus pocus, adding, I don't have time for that. The Oversight Committee says it won't take no for an answer and that it has the authority and the power to back that up. And the Republican chairman of the Oversight Committee may agree, although he hasn't committed, it was Jason Chaffetz who conducted the Benghazi hearings on Hillary Clinton. So we have perhaps one bipartisan investigation underway of the Trump-Russia connection. The House Oversight Committee would appear for now to be the only hope of getting to the bottom of that connection. And even that's sketchy. On some levels, the investigation is continuing. Reuters reports last summer a think tank for Vladimir Putin drew up a plan to sway the 2016 U.S. election. U.S. intelligence officials have documents to back up this story. The strategy that came out of that Russian think tank was to quote, encourage U.S. voters to elect a president who would take a softer line toward Russia. Trump had repeatedly praised Russia and Putin already. By October, with Clinton in the lead, Russia changed its strategy from supporting Trump to preparing to undermine a President Clinton, to undermine her victory by planting stories that the election was rigged. Rigged is precisely the word Trump used, even when he thought he would probably lose. Trump promised his administration would investigate these charges and have a report for us in 90 days. That 90-day mark was passed over a week ago, and administration officials now say they are not aware of any such report. In fact, the Trump administration is not only not investigating, it is now stonewalling the House oversight investigation by refusing to turn over those Flynn papers. So the House and Senate investigation seemed crippled by politics and understaffing. The Justice Department's top investigator is leaving, and the FBI director is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Journalists, however, have not stopped looking and finding. Experienced investigative and Pulitzer prize-winning reporters are still on the story with the help of a few insiders. Those insiders are still talking, but those sources are under constant threat of drying up. Democrats are still calling for an independent special prosecutor, but that would have to be decided by the Trump administration. The only hope for answers on Trump Russia right now may be the House Oversight Committee, maybe, Wish it luck. It will apparently need it. Trump's tax plan, his new run at Obamacare, his confusing foreign policy, and more after this. Being a mom can be a thankless job. You know what I mean, because you know what you did as a kid. Now think about the things she did, the sacrifices she made to give you a better life. And remember all the times you've thought about something your mom taught you, wisdom you carry with you to this very day. Tell her you remember. Tell her as often as possible, especially on Mother's Day. Pro Flowers is the perfect way to tell her. Beautiful flowers, guaranteed fresh for seven days or your money back, and they're not kidding. I've used Pro Flowers time and again, and they've never let me down. She's always delighted when that box from Pro Flowers arrives at her door. And right now, because you listen to this report, get Mom Pro Flowers 100 Blooms Bouquet in a glass vase for just $19.99 plus shipping and handling. For five bucks more, they'll also include some gourmet chocolates. Tell mom you remember with a hundred blooms and a glass vase for just $19.99 plus shipping and help power this show with the code RELM at proflowers.com. Just click the blue microphone in the upper right corner and type in the code RELM. And don't forget to include all the moms in your life when you go to proflowers.com. Thank you for using my sponsors and for also supporting this free news through the PayPal button at buzzburbank.com. We still haven't seen Trump's taxes, so we're not exactly sure of all the ways his tax cut plan will benefit him, but we know enough to know it will. Trump's Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin calls it the biggest tax cut in history. It is also the smallest proposal in history. One page of double-spaced bullet points with no details and no explanation of how it'll be paid for. As presidential tax plans go... This isn't one. We do know from that page that corporations, including Trump's real estate firms, would benefit the most based on the rough sketch the administration unveiled yesterday. Trump hopes to cut the corporate tax rate from 35 to 15 percent in another attempt at trickle-down economics. The theory that wealthier corporations will hire more people to lift all boats has never worked. As the country recovered from the Great Recession of 2008, corporations and the wealthy got richer with no increase in income for anyone else. The belief that companies would share the wealth never came true. But to put a chicken in every pot, Trump's proposing to double everyone's deductions while cutting the deductions we get for our 401k contributions and for the taxes we pay to our state governments. The hope is that taxpayers will use their extra money To buy stuff and stimulate the economy and create jobs. But in recent years, Americans have used any extra money they get to pay off existing debts, not to buy things. Democrats say the plan benefits Trump and his rich friends and that the country cannot afford any of this. The government would go broke without a way to pay for these tax cuts at a cost of $6 trillion over 10 years. Some analysts are calling it voodoo economics. There'll be a nonpartisan congressional study of the Trump plan, so stay tuned. Trump and the Republicans in Congress are, meanwhile, not going to let a failed attempt at repealing Obamacare stop them from trying again. They do not plan to be stopped, either, by the polls that show most Americans favor the Affordable Care Act, despite its flaws, especially after seeing what Trump and Republican leaders have in mind. And Trump and the Republicans will not be stopped by the tearful stories they've heard at town hall meetings, especially since a lot of Republican lawmakers didn't bother to have town hall meetings during this two-week break. Granted, they don't plan to repeal the part of Obamacare that forces insurance companies to accept patients with pre-existing conditions, Republicans do, however, plan to let individual states opt out of the pre-existing conditions clause, which means people living in red states won't have that protection and that people living in blue states will if they can afford it. And many of them won't be able to. Age being a pre-existing condition means people over 50 will be paying five times that of younger patients. Because under the latest Trump-Publican plan, Insurance companies would be able to charge more for pre-existing conditions in states where they'd be required to provide it. Gone will be preventive care, coverage for ER visits, maternity care, birth control, and other essential services. It's a plan that's just cold-hearted enough to win the support of the House Freedom Caucus, the Tea Party group that stopped the passage of the last attempt at repeal and replace. Twenty-five of the caucus members who voted no last time are reportedly ready to vote yes this time but we don't yet know how this plan will be received by moderate Republicans who are concerned about cutting insurance from their constituents. So even that new Tea Party support may not be enough as this second repeal and replace plan still doesn't have the support of every Republican in the House and still has zero support from the Democrats. North Korea is still conducting military drills on one side, with the U.S. and South Korea doing the same on the other, as each side reminds the other of the damage it can do. The bravado continues Hawaii within range of North Korean missiles. U.S. military officials say North Korea poses an urgent national security threat. The Trump administration called senators to the White House this week to show that it's using diplomacy and sanctions to try to avoid a confrontation, but that the U.S. is, quote, ready to defend itself and its allies. Between bombing Turkey, bombing Syria and threatening to blow North Korean missiles out of the sky, the Trump foreign policy seems confused. As reported here last week, the Trump policy on Syria went from Assad can stay or go to he must go to we'll let Russia decide. Policy went from we'll strike in Syria anytime Assad attacks his own people to well, not all the time. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson told Congress last week that Iran appears to be in compliance with the nuclear deal, Iran. Trump later that day said Iran is not in compliance. After the hinky election in Turkey that gave their president dictatorial powers, the decimated State Department announced it had concerns about the election and possible irregularities. Trump called Turkey's new dictatorial president to congratulate him on the win. And then there's the now famous ships no ships silliness. An aircraft carrier is headed for North Korea, they said, when the ship was 3,000 miles away and headed away from North Korea. If it was meant to bluff North Korea, it didn't bluff anyone. Meanwhile, the Trump administration continues to talk tough to an equally tough-talking North Korea. Despite working to help get him elected, Russia is now taunting Trump as much as it did Obama, Four times in four days last week, Russian military planes made it a point to swing by Alaska. They didn't penetrate U.S. airspace, but they were definitely in the neighborhood, about 40 miles off the Alaskan coastline, which is inside our air defense identification zone, a buffer around our airspace. Such visits compel the U.S. to scramble its fighter jets. This is the first time the Russians have done this since last year when Barack Obama was still president. Now they're taunting Trump. Inside of a day, Trump reversed his position on the international trade deal known as NAFTA. During the campaign, Trump called it the worst deal ever made in the history of the world, and he promised to scrap it. Now he has shocked even his supporters by saying he will keep NAFTA, but that the leaders of Canada and Mexico have agreed to renegotiate it. Arkansas is winning some and losing some in its determination to kill as many death row prisoners as possible by the end of April. While one of the drugs in its three-drug lethal cocktail has been banned from use, another is irreplaceable and set to expire in three days from now. But Arkansas has now executed three of the eight men it planned to kill despite the limitations and setbacks. Two inmates were put to death Monday night for the first death penalty doubleheader in 17 years. The first execution Monday night did not go well. Arkansas hadn't tried its hand at execution in a dozen years with no one with any experience remaining on the staff. Inmate Jack Jones was not unconscious as planned when the final deadly drugs were injected. They couldn't find the vein for that first injection. After multiple tries, they chose a different part of his body. Jones gasped for air for five to six minutes before dying from the next injection. That clumsiness got the second to die, a temporary stay, but that was overturned in time for the second execution of Monday night, and Marcel Williams was also put down. Of the four executions Arkansas had planned for last week, three were stayed by the courts, but African-American Liddell Lee did not get a stay. He was declared dead at four minutes to midnight a week ago tonight, just four minutes before his death warrant was due to expire. The state, eager to use up its execution drugs before expiration, barely made the deadline for the killing that it was allowed to carry out that week. Liddell Lee had said he had nothing to do with the murder for which he was executed, and he had asked that new DNA technology be used to help clear his name. Liddell had been on death row for nearly 21 years before he was put to death last week. Arkansas has one other execution planned in its end-of-the-month death row clearance, Kenneth Duane Williams is due to be killed tonight. Enjoy the unspoiled nature while you can. Trump signed an executive order yesterday that instructs the Interior Department to take a second look at a list of national monuments protected by the Obama, Clinton, and Bush administrations. Obama alone signed orders to protect 265 million acres from Maine to the Pacific, more than any other president ever, The Trump administration has plans for that protected land. It's already given a Texas company permission to drill for oil at a national monument ordered protected by Obama specifically to keep the oil companies out. Native Americans consider much of these lands sacred. One environmental activist group calls Trump's review order an attack on the millions of jobs and hundreds of billions of dollars for our parks, monuments, and other public land. As demonstrated with this order, cuts at the EPA, keeping coal mines open, and dissing climate change. The Trump administration is here to serve the fossil fuel industry. And its 48th year Earth Day was different this year. This year, it was a platform for marches around the world to defend science This year was different because in the Trump era, science is under attack between the dismissal of man-made climate change by both Republicans and the president, and Trump's proposed massive cuts at the Environmental Protection Agency, along with an 18% budget cut for the National Institutes of Health. Science is under attack in this country, thanks to Trump's war on immigrants. Nearly half the scientists in the U.S. came here from other countries, and that gate is closing. Earth Day shouldn't be about politics, but this year it was. People gathered in more than 600 cities, many wearing white lab coats and carrying signs. Thousands gathered in Washington in the rain. Besides Earth Day, this past week also featured Holocaust Remembrance Day, but the Anti-Defamation League was also focused on what's been happening in the U.S. since the election campaign, since the election itself, and since Trump took office kill the Jews, vote Trump, read some graffiti in Denver. Nearly a third of last year's threats and actual attacks on Jewish schools and community centers happened in November and December following the election of Trump. Since the first of this year, as Trump transitioned into office, the incidents of anti-Semitic vandalism and assaults increased by 86%. At Jewish schools, reports of trouble are up 106%. There were 541 anti-Semitic incidents in the first quarter of this year, and the ADL says 34 of them have been directly linked to the election. In other countries, the number of incidents actually dropped as they were on the rise in Britain, Australia, and here. The hatred for African Americans lives on in some as well. In New Orleans, construction workers had to wear helmets and bulletproof vests under the protection of police snipers, As those workers removed a monument to honor white supremacists who died in a battle with police in 1891, and three other monuments to the Confederacy will be removed from public view in New Orleans, probably with the same kind of security precautions, probably also in the dead of night. The contractors hired to remove the statues have gotten threats. One contractor's car was destroyed by a bomb. New Orleans City Council voted two years ago to remove the monuments, calling them a public nuisance. Mayor Landrieu calls the one honoring white supremacists the most offensive of the four, so it was the first to go. Across the South, Confederate flags and monuments are vanishing from public places and being moved to museums. Despite the protest from today's white supremacists and despite their threats... Times have really changed when it comes to growing up in this country. A new report from the U.S. Government Census Bureau shows a change in the very definition of becoming a grown-up. Adulthood has traditionally been defined as finishing school, becoming financially independent by getting a full-time job, getting married, and having a kid or two. Today, getting married and having children have become less of a priority. The census report shows that today's young adults put education and a real job ahead of the family stuff. Only 10-12% to 12% rate the married-with-children milestones as extremely important. 52% said having a full-time job is extremely important. And even more, 62% said the completion of a formal education is extremely important, compared to the 10-12% to 12% for getting hitched and making babies. More than half the young adults surveyed believe that marriage and parenthood are not important in terms of becoming an adult, That's especially interesting since nearly one in four are not supporting themselves or going to school. Census found that 2.2 million young adults are still living at home and not working full time and not going to school. Just 12 years ago, most young adults lived in their own places. Today, most are living at their parents' houses. They are still getting married, by the way, but they're waiting later in life to do it by age 45 now instead of age 30, as it was just 30 years ago. And today's young men are not getting the solid paychecks they rank as so important. Men between the ages of 25 and 34 who make less than 30 grand a year, that number used to be just 25 percent. Today it's 41 percent. Women in that same age group are not the homemakers they once were. That percentage has fallen from 43 percent to 14. We don't yet know which Republican will be the first in his party to call for the impeachment of Donald Trump but we pause to remember the first Republican to call for the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Lawrence Hogan graduated from law school and worked as a journalist and as an advertising executive and as a special agent for the FBI before he ever ran for office. He stood alone in his party and it cost him dearly. Scorned by other Republicans and failing to get their support, Lawrence Hogan was defeated in his re-election bid. But Lawrence Hogan was right, and Nixon was impeached and resigned from office in disgrace. But the congressman also had a son that the people of Maryland now know as Governor Larry Hogan. And when Lawrence Hogan died a week ago tonight, Governor Hogan remembered his father as an American hero and the man I am most proud of. Lawrence Hogan had the kind of courage we may or may not see again. United kills the world's biggest bunny, a golf ball in the rough, and more, along with Omar's movie preview in the third and final segment Up Next. It's very, very important that you show your support for this newscast by doing as much of your shopping as possible through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. You'll land right on your very own Amazon page and get the same great prices as always. And if you believe in what I'm doing here, what we're doing together, it's extremely important that you go to buzzburbank.com, click on that link, and then bookmark the page and make it one of your favorites. Whether you're already a Prime member or you're shopping Amazon for the first time, going through that link even just once helps sustain this program. Amazon has nearly everything you need right to your door and in two days or less for Prime members. I can't say enough either about how much I enjoy Amazon Prime Video, which comes with the Prime membership along with music and books and more. It's the perfect one-stop shopping place for Mother's Day. And please use my Amazon link if you make purchases for your office, school, church, or some other organization. To those of you who already shop through my link, thank you. And if Amazon's not right for you, you can also support this program by clicking on the PayPal button just below the Amazon button in the upper right corner at buzzburbank.com. The Rabbit Died. A giant rabbit, likely to be the world's biggest bunny ever, died on a United Airlines flight from London to Chicago. Simon, the giant rabbit, was soon to be living with a celebrity. We don't yet know whose rabbit died on that United flight. Yes, the airline trying to restore its image after dragging a reserved passenger off its plane, bloodied and beaten, has now killed perhaps the world's largest rabbit. Simon wouldn't fit into a regular rabbit hutch. He was three feet long. And on the heels of that news, we learned that of the 35 animals that died in cargo holes last year, 14 of them, nearly half, flew United. United is number one in that category. United says it's investigating. It may also be hoping to survive. United's image hit turbulence last month when two young women were stopped from boarding one of its flights because they were wearing leggings. Earlier this month, Dr. David Dow lost two teeth and got a concussion when he was forcibly removed from his reserved seat. He's now suing United. In a second statement this week, United said it cannot apologize enough for this shameful incident. United CEO Oscar Munoz has been told he won't be promoted to chairman of the board as he'd been expected. We know you have a choice of airlines. Now American Airlines is investigating an ugly confrontation between a passenger and a male flight attendant who angrily grabbed a stroller away from a mother, hitting her and nearly hitting her baby. No one captured the violent stroller grab on video but there are witnesses and the phone cameras did capture this. As she clutched her baby the young mother was in tears and a passenger decided to stand up for them both. The passenger demanded the name of the flight attendant. You do that to me he shouted and I'll knock you flat. The flight attendant shouted back stay out of it he yelled as the chivalrous passenger began walking toward him. Hit me said the passenger bring it on. American Airlines has since apologized publicly and to the young mother and upgraded her and the baby to first class on a later flight. American has also suspended that flight attendant while it investigates the incident and him. The company said it was disappointed in the flight attendant's actions and that his behavior does not represent the company's policy on empathy and patience. But the young mother terrorized on American has now hired the same lawyer who's representing the doctor, dragged off that United flight. Over at Delta, an air marshal new on the job accidentally left her gun in a plane's lavatory after a flight from Britain to JFK Airport in New York. The gun was found by a passenger who picked it up and turned it over to a member of the flight crew. Normally, leaving a gun behind would get an air marshal suspended, but this one remains on the job and is back in the air being new and all. It was also on a Delta flight that some passengers were forced to listen to Kenny G against their wills, but the majority of the passengers did want to see and hear Kenny G strolling up and down the aisle playing smooth jazz on his saxophone, and they were willing to pay extra for that. KG said he would do the impromptu show if the passengers would collectively donate a thousand bucks to a Delta charity called Relay for Life. The passengers donated twice that much so the show was on and got recorded on cell phones. It was a good vibe right when the airline industry needed one, if you like Kenny G. As one man tweeted, frankly, I'd rather be dragged down the aisle. The Princess Cruise Lines are being fined $40 million and being placed on probation for five years after getting caught polluting the oceans. On purpose. It's the biggest fine ever levied for intentionally polluting the ocean. It's a criminal charge. The company pleaded guilty to seven felonies, including dumping over 4,000 gallons of oily waste just off the coast of Britain nearly four years ago. Princess was also caught falsifying its logbooks to cover up the intentional dumping. Princess Cruises even made use of a secret pipeline on that ship to try to hide what it was leaving behind and ordered its employees to lie about the dumping. A company official had apparently decided it was cheaper than authorized dumping, so it was a money-saving move to keep profits up. A million dollars of that $40 million fine will go to the ship's engineer who blew the whistle on the dumping. As for that probation, Princess will be environmentally audited for the next five years. Volkswagen will pay nearly a $3 billion fine for committing three felonies after outfitting its diesel engines with software designed to fool pollution testers. That's on top of the $1.5 billion fine it's paying in civil court. VW cheated in over a half million engines after fraudulently telling dealers and customers that the cars met pollution standards. Volkswagen had set aside $25 billion to make things right. Over $4 billion of that will go to fines. The rest will be returned to those defrauded in cash and new cars. When we were warned of a society dictated by a big brother, we weren't expecting more than one big brother. There are at least two, when you count the government trying to protect you from terrorism and sometimes infringing on your right to privacy, and businesses that target you for commercial purposes in this profit-driven digital world. At the very least, we would hope that neither business nor government would abuse this privileged information, but they sometimes do. This past week, Bose, a longtime maker of radios, stereo amps, and more got hit with a lawsuit accusing it of using its wireless headphones to profile you and then selling your profile to other companies without your knowledge, much less your permission Kyle Zack of Illinois ponied up 350 bucks for a pair of Bose QuietComfort wireless headphones and then downloaded the company's app, which allowed him and other customers to choose and play music and podcasts. The lawsuit says customer choices can give meaningful clues about that person's race, religion, politics, personality, even sexual orientation. Zach says he never would have played into this if he'd known... While he was listening to Bose, Bose was listening to Zach and a lot of other people. There was a time not so long ago when every home had a phone book and a Sears catalog. Technology made both books disappear. Sears has everything, sang their jingle, and it did. Everything from back-to-school clothes to appliances and lawnmowers. It was Americana personified and now it's going away, just as competitor Montgomery Ward did years ago. At least it's headed in that direction. Sears has not made a profit in seven years. A few months back, we learned Sears was closing 150 of its stores, including some of the k it bought in an attempt to survive and grow. More recently, Sears sold its brilliant line of craftsman tools to competitor Stanley, which now also owns Black & Decker Tools. Now, Sears says it's closing nearly 100 Kmart pharmacies and 50 of the Sears auto centers. Sears hasn't said how many jobs are being cut, but it's focused on cutting its expenses now by one and a quarter billion dollars. The pink slips are already going out as Sears fades like an old catalog. The man who directed Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, Married to the Mob, and the best concert film ever made, Stop Making Sense, featuring talking heads, has died at the age of 73. Quirky, Oscar-winning director Jonathan Demme had heart disease and esophageal cancer. Demme also directed the TV show The Killing. The man who wrote the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance has died at 88, Robert M. Prizig finally got that book published in 1974 after it had been rejected by 121 publishers. Since then, it has sold millions of copies worldwide. You can still read it, but don't expect to learn anything useful about motorcycle maintenance. Prizig described his handbook as more of a mental phenomenon. And in one of the saddest stories we've ever heard, Actress Erin Moran, who played Richie Cunningham's little sister in Happy Days and starred in Joni Loves Chachi, died of cancer in poverty at the age of 56. Saturday Night Live could go into reruns and stay there. The Walking Dead could go off the air. The new Star Trek series may be delayed and there'd be no Colbert, no Jimmies, no Corden, no Conan. The people who write those shows, members of the Writers Guild of America, have voted to go on strike Tuesday if they don't have a deal by then. The writers want fair pay for the Netflix type use of their material and more. When they went on strike exactly 10 years ago, everyone got hurt. The writers themselves gave up a third of a billion dollars in income. Los Angeles County lost 25 million in tax revenue. In script writing, this would be known as Act Two. Everything gets resolved in Act 3. Fate of the Furious made $39 million in U.S. and Canadian theaters last week for the number one spot. Alec Baldwin's Baby Boss was second. What's new this week? Here's this week's movie preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment editor Omar Latiri, brought
1: to you by Fandango. Opening this weekend, April 28, 2017. In limited release, we have Buster's Mal Hark, starring Mr. Robot star Rami Malek. A family man's chance encounter with a conspiracy-obsessed drifter leaves him on the run from the police and an impending event known as the inversion. We also have Below Her Mouth an erotic drama about how a young woman's unexpected affair with another woman quickly escalates into a heart-stopping reality whose passionate connection changes their lives forever. Both Buster's Mal Heart and Below Her Mouth are not rated. In wide release, we have Slight, a story about a young street magician who turns to illegal activities to keep a roof over his and his younger sister's heads. When he gets in too deep, his sister is kidnapped and he is forced to use his magic and brilliant mind to save her. Rated R. There's How To Be A Latin Lover. Finding himself dumped after 25 years of marriage, a man who made a career of seducing rich older women must move in with his estranged sister where he begins to learn the value of family. Starring Eugenio Derbez, Salma Hayek, Rob Lowe, and Kristen Bell, How To Be A Latin Lover is rated PG-13. And finally, we have The Circle. A drama about a young woman who lands a dream job at a powerful tech company called The Circle only to uncover a nefarious agenda that will affect the lives of her friends, family, and that of humanity. Starring Emma Watson, Jason Boyega, Eller Coltrane, and Tom Hanks, The Circle is rated PG-13. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Latiri. Thanks, Omar. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so
0: much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. And listen to Omar on his show, ARC arts review and commentary right here at realmnetwork.com. How many times has this happened to you? You finish watching the soccer game, you get in your car and leave, forgetting that you left your cockatoo in a tree at the edge of the field. To discover this is upsetting if you're also a magician who uses the cockatoo in the act. At first, Edgar the magician didn't even realize the bird was missing, his 17-year-old cockatoo named Saul. In my former stomping grounds of Fairfax, Virginia, a county cop answered the call from a concerned citizen who had spotted an exotic bird in a tree. How did the officer capture the bird so he could return it to the forgetful magician? Quoting him, walked up to the bird, whistled at it, flew out of the tree, came to the ground, and it walked up to me. And that's how the pros do it. We've heard kid drives car stories many times before, including one about a kid who may hold the record for going on the most underage joyrides in some mighty big vehicles. But today, a new record holder for most miles in Australia, a kid tried to drive across that country on a trip that would take him over 2,400 miles. Police pulled him over around New South Wales when they spotted a car with a bumper dragging on the ground. That's when they discovered the driver was 12 years old and that he was already one third of the way along his journey. He had already traveled at the age of 12 800 miles. He was not allowed to finish the trip. Usually, Product recalls are not fun. There is nothing fun about the Frito-Lay recall this week of its kettle-cooked jalapeno potato chips and its Miss Vicky's jalapeno-flavored kettle-cooked potato chips because they may be contaminated with salmonella. Frito-Lay says the jalapeno seasoning it bought for the chips is apparently the source of the salmonella. Fortunately, no one's reported yet getting sick. But the recall of over 4,000 pounds of Campbell's Homestyle Healthy Request chicken with whole grain pasta soup are being recalled because of a wacky mix-up. The soup is fine. The label is wrong. Inside is actually Campbell's Home Style Healthy Request Italian Style Spinach and Meatballs in Chicken Broth, not the Chicken with Whole Grain Pasta. Not a health problem unless you're allergic to milk and eat the spinach and meatballs because that's what was in the can labeled Chicken with Whole Grain Pasta. Tesla recalled 53,000 of its cars over a parking brake issue. The problem does not appear to pose any danger, because if the defect rears its head, the car won't go. But, and finally, truly amusing is the recall of frozen hash brown patties from McCain Foods. McCain makes the hash browns for Harris Teeter, Pick and Save, and other stores in eight mid-Atlantic and southern states. The hash browns are being recalled on account of golf balls. The company says there may be bits of golf ball in your hash browns because the potatoes were harvested from a field located next to a golf course. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Buzz, buzz, buzz.